The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Tonight after 10.15, we talk about the impact of addiction, all different kinds of addiction, on families, especially during the pandemic. It's a topic that we haven't discussed in quite some time, so I think the timing is good since uh, I think a lot of people are suffering right now, including families of addicts and such, and the addicts themselves, and um, we're going to find out what kind of help there actually is out there since um, in-person help may not be the thing right now. That's coming up after 10.15. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. Got a couple of emails I want to share with you to laurie at drlaurie.com. Remember, you can send me those emails anytime of uh, the day, the week, the day, whatever it is, and I will read them at the beginning of every show. Good evening. I am a very new listener. I've been listening for about the last two weeks. Your show was suggested to myself and a few other friends from a close friend during one of our coffee outings, so I'm not the only newest listener. We are four in total. My friend tried to explain what the show is all about, but it's still not clear enough. The only thing we know, it is about sex, love, and relationships, so we have come across things on your show that we would like an explanation for if possible the passion community is this a real community a group therapy sort of thing the passion poet we listened in on your anniversary show and your guest paris was interviewing him who is he and where did you find him his anniversary poem was great and last friday's poem about masks and having sex was pretty funny I am divorced, one other new listener is single but not dating, and the other two are married and their hubbies listen in too. Sorry for swamping you with questions, but nothing explains it on your website. My friend is not explaining it too well. I want to thank you for the reminder, first of all, that uh, maybe I take it for granted, you know, and I forget that, of course, new people can hop on uh, and start listening to the show. I mean, we've been around, we've already, we're in our 22nd year of broadcasting every night, but that means that new people uh, discover it and what have you. So you're right. Thank you for pointing that out and um, explaining things a little bit. So when you talk about the passion community, Um, I'm not sure when we started saying this, but the reason why we call it a community is because oftentimes when people write in and ask for advice, they're not just asking me. They're also wanting to know what you are, what you feel about it, what you think about it. And if anybody else out there who's listening, who might have experienced this same thing, also provides feedback. And that's the community, the community of listeners um, helping each other. And it's really become that over the years where uh, people are really uh, helping other people. And that's, that is very, very clear when uh, a situation comes up and people text in and and respond to uh, what some people write in. So that's, that's part of it. The other part you asked for is the poem. Um, How did I find this poet, right? That's what you're asking. Who is he and where did you find him? So the poet is a listener who started uh, one day. uh, He's, uh, he's, I think, a long-time listener, but for one day he started 
throwing poems into every show. And it always had to do with the theme of the show. And it took him apparently minutes to to do this uh, every time. And so we just penned him the the passion poet. He became that as we started getting more and more of his poems every night. And that's how he found us. We, we did not find him. And uh, as I got to know... Mark a little bit because of course I you know reached out to him thanked him and invited him to be on our boomer panel he's in his 60s early 60s and uh, so he is now one of our regulars on our boomer show so um, we have that once a month and uh, you can hear uh, well his opinion as well not just his uh, his poetry a uh, texter just wrote in hi Dr. Roy always nice to hear when there are newcomers tuning in too absolutely and I appreciate old listeners new listeners uh, tell your friends about the show tell them where they can get questions answered about sexuality as well uh, as learn you know sometimes a thing or two and find out where, what the community resources are as well so it's a good place to to get that kind of information so here's a situation that maybe our listeners could help with and here it is I've been seeing someone on occasion and I always enjoy his company my daughter is very fond of him and keeps encouraging me to get closer to him but I'm not sure he wants that I discovered tonight my daughter is in love with him We were talking during dinner and his name came up and she lit up. She does not have to tell me, but I can tell she is really in love with him. This is not a teenage crush. She is a young adult. I now see she showed some jealousy when he slept over one night last week. Should I stop inviting him over? I really like him and want to see him more, but under these circumstances, I do not know if that is a good idea. He does not know, but he does know she likes him because they have a common interest. So I don't know, I mean, again, how can you be sure that this is not affection that she has towards uh, this uh, this gentleman who you've grown close to? It sounds like as a family, you've grown close to him. So assuming that she's in love with him might be, might be a stretch. You might want to have a conversation with her. I don't know if anybody else wants to chime in here, but at 514-800. In the meantime, it might make her uncomfortable to have him sleep over. So it may be, it, it may be wise that you have this relationship outside of your home. And uh, if there's sleepovers, uh, have the sleepovers at uh, at his place so I mean it does sound like a, a bit of a maybe it's a crush maybe it's just some she's seeking some kind of a male attention and they're connecting on something so I wouldn't necessarily jump to to the in love part of it uh, but of course you know I'm not there and I don't see everything and I don't know your daughter so I don't want to make too many uh, too many assumptions but if anybody wants to weigh in on this please do you're free to do that uh, last question every time I have sex I end up losing the sensation I get from when he first enters me we would switch positions and I would be able to get it back for maybe a minute then barely anything even going on top I don't feel anything I've tried different angles and I've tried rubbing my clitoris but in the long run I end up seeing it it as just a workout and getting him off I don't know what's wrong with me and I'm tired of faking it I love my boyfriend and he is good at it big too but I want to enjoy sex as much as him what should I do 
Um, well, it doesn't sound like there's anything really wrong here. Let's remember the facts. Close to 80% of women do not orgasm from intercourse alone. They need the clitoral stimulation. So maybe you should focus on positions that offer you the most continuous pressure in your clitoral area. And you just may need to accept, like many of us do, that you will not enjoy intercourse as much as your partner does, that that is not the way for you uh, to climax. And if you speak to most women, they will tell you that foreplay is far more important to them uh, than intercourse. So just make sure there's plenty of that. Coming up, we'll talk about addictions and the impact on families, especially now during the pandemic. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Tonight, we're talking about a pretty important topic, a pretty serious one, if I may say, and not so much related to sexuality, although we can certainly talk about uh, the addiction to, to, to sex. But I want to focus a little bit on the, um, the general umbrella of addictions and the fact that uh, a lot of people need help. And during the pandemic, it's, I think, become more problematic on multiple multiple levels, which we will discuss tonight. And of course, if you are struggling with addiction or a family member is struggling with addiction, please reach out to us. We've got some great great guests on with us that could uh, possibly help you and direct you. 514-800 to text in, or if you'd like to call in at 514-790-0800. My guests tonight are uh, Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger. He is the director of Chabad Lifeline. Hello, Rabbi. How are you? Hello. Thank God. How are you? Good. Long time no speak. Uh, Rabbi was a regular pretty much for a while talking about addictions with us. And we have uh, Bill Young, who is uh, one of Chabad Lifeline's youth counselors. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so let's talk about, first of all, for people who don't know about Lifeline, Chabad Lifeline, tell us a bit about the work that you do there, Rabbi. So Chabad Lifeline is a nonprofit organization, a non-sectarian organization that's there to help anybody and everybody affected by addiction. So there's services that we have for the person presenting with an addiction and the family members and uh, especially the children. So there are plenty of children who are affected by addiction who uh, we don't know about them necessarily. These are not necessarily kids who are at risk in a certain sense, mm-hmm. not necessarily misbehaving. They're struggling in silence, and uh, and that's we're there for them. And, and we have a contract with the English School Board of Montreal where we're in four of their schools, no, 15 of their schools with four of our counselors. Uh, and we have a very active youth department uh, bringing out this idea of the hidden, the innocent victim, the children. Okay, so your the organization is an outpatient uh, organization, helps not just people who have addictions, which is all addictions, because I know you also have a, se- a, a sex addiction counselor on staff, so you deal with that too, and you take on not just the addict, but also all family members. Right. Correct? We see addiction as a family disease, and it affects everybody in the family, of course, and so we need to be there for everybody, uh, even if the addict does not come 
will not come for help. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we will be there for the spouse uh, or the brother, the mother, the father, and especially the children. So during this pandemic, so I know that uh, many meetings were held out of your location, uh, which is right near the Jewish General Hospital, well-located, open to the entire community, doesn't matter what religion, doesn't matter any any of that. Um, what's happened then to all these groups and support groups and where did people go? What did people do? Well, you know, by divine providence, we had a project that we had finished, which we put our entire uh, database online, and that could be accessed remotely. So the very day that we closed physically, we were able to uh, pivot and go online and offer all of our services via Zoom, email, phone. Wow. So none of our clients uh, felt uh, any less uh, supported. Um, but something we saw very interesting from the get-go was that there were children at home now, stuck at home, right. not going to school, not right. going to their friends, and they were stuck at homes with very possibly uh, alcoholic parent, uh, parent addicted to drugs, and they were prisoners in a certain sense in these homes. So we took an initiative right away, uh, which is where Bill and the other youth counselors came in. We went through our entire database. Even if someone came last year and didn't come a second time, we knew whether or not they had children. And so we made up, we're going to find every child who is uh, in the database, and we're going to reach out to the parent and tell them that we're here for the children. And what's unbelievable, what happened was many parents who weren't necessarily going to continue coming for help, now there was nowhere to hide. Right. And, And they came forward, and they wanted their children to come forward. So it turned out to be a very busy operation. And uh, we're proud of it, even though everybody else was cutting back and laying off. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, uh, we, our traffic increased, and we had to bring in more people to take care of it. Also, more and more people needed help. So this was yeah, a lot. time, I've spoken to a lot of people who said their drinking got increased, their eating increased, like lots of behaviors that they felt may have been under control pre-COVID, now during the pandemic, got a little bit out of control. And maybe it's a way of coping with the stress and, and what have you. But What we saw is people who were connected, physically connected to either groups, whether 12-step program or our own internal groups, the ones who are already connected continued and, and were, were fine, at mm-hmm. least for a while. There is Zoom fatigue now. There's no question. Yes, exactly. And the ones who weren't connected, that, those are the ones who, who very much suffered. So they have had one foot in the door it was hard uh, to to sustain uh, mm. the interest. We've got uh, Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger, the director of Chabad Lifeline with us, and Bill Young, one of their youth counselors. Bill, how did you get involved in uh, counseling youth f- from addicted families? Uh, well, I started with, with Chabad when uh, they were looking for youth counselors for the school board. Uh, so they've got a contract. We've, we've got a contract. Uh, with the English Montreal School Board, and uh, and I applied, uh, and we interviewed, and and I was there. What's your background? Uh, uh, well, I I'm a drama therapist, so I uh, did my master's at Concordia. Okay. Uh, and and while I was there, I worked um, primarily with indigenous populations. Mm-hmm. So it was um, placed at Native Montreal and. Um, and, and there I also worked with a lot of clients that were 
dealing with addiction as well, and 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 also looking at it in a context that is culturally um, appropriate, mm-hmm. uh, and and looking at the sort of uh, historical context of all of that, um, and so yeah, I felt. There, I also worked with, at a high school, and so I thought when I when when this sort of opening came up, it was an opportunity to continue the work. Mm, sounds like a perfect fit for you, actually. Mm. <laughs> right up your alley, especially because you you do have to be sensitive to all, you know the to all the different ethnicities and that are that neighborhood or our neighborhood um, mm. addresses and such. So well, yeah, well, often. I feel like often certain groups of people are excluded based yes. on, on their uh, ethnicity or their social backgrounds, and, and, and it's something that we all ought to always be thinking about, and I felt like that's, that's I feel quite supported in that working at Chabad Lifeline. Mm. So what has been your, your major challenge during the pandemic in terms of reaching the kids or, or the work that you've done with the kids? Good question. Uh um, I feel like there are a lot of challenges and also a lot of benefits, mm-hmm. almost like silver linings that came out of it. Um, but challenges. Um, well, go with the silver linings. I, yeah, I like to be positive. Yeah. Well, let's start with that. Um, so I think one thing is about accessibility. Um, it, you know, somebody doesn't have to take the metro or like find mm-hmm. a ride to get to Chabad Lifeline. They could either go on their phone or go on their Zoom on their computers, and they're there instantly. Um, and so, so in a way, like the attendance, uh, it's, it's funny because whenever we talk to you in supervision, we have a pretty good attendance record. And, and I, I believe it's because of the accessibility of, of Zoom and online counseling. That is, that is a good silver lining. That's true. More people are because of the anonymity of it too they don't have to necessarily be yeah. exposed in any way or especially if they're they're worried about that then uh, this is direct access which is amazing mm-hmm. and, and another another positive or or advantage is that i feel like when we work online and we do zoom we get a little closer glimpse to their life mm-hmm. um, in a way that you know they kind of choose and curate how they place their camera, where they decide to do the Zoom call. You get a closer glimpse. You know, we were talking about families. You're like, what does your household look like? Right. Uh, are you able to find a place that is private enough? Um, and what happens when somebody might be walking down the hallway? How do you react? Mm-hmm. How might you change in our conversation as that happens? And so it's something like that. That kind of information I probably wouldn't get if they walked into Chabad or, or into the school, but it's something that we get um, so true. working online. So true. It's uh, You do get a glimpse into a different aspect of mm-hmm. their lives, which, uh, which helps the work also. Um, we're talking with uh, Chabad Lifeline, a director and a youth counselor there. Coming up, I want to talk about how the kids are affected now that many of them might feel might have felt like they were prisoners probably easier now that they are, they are in school but also the use of porn which has risen over the pandemic and how that might be affecting youth and adults alike so we will discuss all of that plus we'll have our stupid sex story of the night 
of course, a little bit of fun uh, injected into that. So that's all coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. From the pleasure and the politics to the hang-ups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. Before we continue our discussion about addiction, let's throw in a little levity here into the program. So after uh, 10.30, you know, I always have a stupid sex story of the night. Uh, This one's pretty funny, actually. The headline goes like this. Bride-to-be sparks drama by threatening to call off wedding unless her fiancé shaves his beard. How silly is that? She writes on, of course, a subreddit uh, uh, post. So I've been with my fiancé for over three years. We've been engaged for one. Uh, Our wedding is set for September Oh, it was yesterday, according to this. My fiancé has been growing a beard ever since, like March or so. I haven't thought of anything of it since I've seen him with a beard plenty of times before. I'd say since I've known him, it's been about 50-50 between him clean-shaven and him having a beard. I jokingly brought up his beard and our wedding and our wedding the other day. I said, you you ready to have a clean face for our wedding? He looked at me and was silent for a few seconds. He finally said, um, I was going to leave my beard for the wedding. I gave him a pretty gross look and said, no, you're not. That is not acceptable. I will not have that. He got mad that I was telling him what to do and said that I can't tell him what to do with his grooming preferences. I said that I have the right to since it is my wedding and I am marrying him. We kept going back and forth about it until I said that I would cancel our wedding if he doesn't shave. He didn't budge. He ended up getting really mad by that comment and left shortly after. He's barely texted me since that happened. I've told my friends and family about the situation and part of them agree with me while some say they had no right to tell him to do that and that I was being a jerk for doing so. Just to clarify, I don't hate his beard. It's fine. I think at times that it can be attractive. I just don't really like the idea of him not being clean shaven on our wedding day. I feel as though the pictures will not be as classy and nice. Uh, So lots of people clearly responded with this. Uh, Like one said, as a woman, you should understand the concept, my body, my choice. The fact you are denying him the right to choose what he wants is messed up. It would be the same as telling him, telling you what to do with your hair. If you are that petty, just let the poor man go so he can find someone else. And by the way, someone else says the wedding is about both bride and groom. I hate women like you who think the wedding is only about them. Sorry to break it to you, but it's not. So just, you know, an indicator of how petty and silly people can be. All right, let's get serious now uh, with my guests, Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger. He's the director of Chabad Lifeline and Bill Young. He's one of their uh, youth counselors who works obviously with uh, with the kids uh, because it is an organization that helps with the entire family. There's they take you they take the whole family on as a client, which is pretty unique, I would say in in uh, in Montreal. I don't know too many organizations that actually uh, do that. And they're not nonprofit and everybody's welcome from any walk of life. And that's, that's important. I just want to share a couple of texts, if I may, with, uh, with our guests. First of all, one person says, Chabad guys are really great. 
for so much community support that they provide. So thank you from one of our of our listeners. Another one says, unfortunately, many families who have an addiction problem by one or both parents, kids think they have nowhere to turn, but they do, but don't know how to reach out. Sometimes the parents only need to realize their problem to start to change. The first step in resolving an addiction problem is admitting to yourself that you have a problem. So talking about the kids and where to turn when the kids are in school and they were in school, they might have been picked up by the guidance counselors or, or something, but they went seven months without being in school. So how did that impact families as far as you're seeing uh, rabbi? Well, that's one of the reasons we had to find them. So, you know, they weren't necessarily coming to us because the schools weren't necessarily sending us. Although over the summer, we had uh, we had quite a few students who did find us either through their parents uh, or, you know, or their schools. Um, so even though they weren't in school, but uh, the parents learned of us from the schools. Oh, good. Yeah. So that that was very good. And uh, and, and like I said before, the desperation at times from the parents not being able to hide their self-sabotaging behaviors and seeing their kids. Nobody wants their kids to see them um, being the way they are. And mm-hmm. that could bring up, that could prompt you know, a real call for help. So that that we saw a lot as well. Right. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well at 514-800 if there's uh, anything you would like to, uh, to add to our discussion tonight. I want to switch over to discussing... Uh, pornography. I mean, we, you and I, Rabbi, have talked a lot about sex addiction, pornography addiction. I think it's something, or it's not an actual illness, according to the um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, but we do see people who use uh, pornography compulsively and to a point where they don't feel good about it, where they feel shame about it, where they feel guilt about it and where it impacts their lives. And those are the people who generally seek out or need, uh, treatment or help. I want to just point out that just because someone has a high sex drive doesn't make them an addict. Addiction has far more to do with the person's psychological well-being and and the the distress that they feel, the impact on their lives. Those are all things that are assessed when we look at whether somebody has an addiction or not. But once once let's say they come to me and I determine, okay, this seems like it's a little more than a high sex drive. I send them over to Chabad Lifeline uh, so that they uh, can get help and their spouses too uh, can get help. But I want to I want to talk about youth now because before you talk about youth, could I just mention something? Sure, quickly? of course. Um, I would never come on an expert's radio show, especially one that's been on for 22 years, <laughs> the longest running show on CJAD. <laughs> and I would never challenge an expert on the subject. But if I would, if I had the chutzpah. <laughs> and I you have the chutzpah. If I have the chutzpah, I, I would say that anecdotally we see over the last a number of years, at least 12 years that I've been involved and longer than that, we see sex addiction as an illness. We see it. uh, One of the ways we can define addiction is to continue doing the same behavior despite the consequences. 
And we see that time and again. And then also one of the ways we see it as an illness is that if people are reacting or being treated, so to speak, by the same treatment and it's working as, let's say, alcoholism or drug addiction, we see it all. So this is, you want to call it an illness, you don't want to call it an illness, but my concern is somebody who's hearing this might not go for help because we don't call it an illness. We no, do. There's, but, but we know that there is such a thing as, it may not be called addiction, but there is uh, such an issue as compulsive uh, sexual behavior. So there, that is definitely in, in the books as compulsive sexual behavior. But we also have to look at the impact. Somebody who's impacted by that behavior, whose life is impacted negatively by that behavior, that is what we look at. And so if that's happening, then yes, but you must get help before it gets even worse. And we'll continue uh, to talk about the kinds of help that there is out there for sex addiction, but also for youth because we are seeing probably a lot of compulsive sexuality and porn use in our youth population that's coming up with our guests from Chabad Lifeline. Passion, Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight we're talking about addictions, different kinds of addictions, uh, not just sex addiction, but the impact on families, the impact on children and one organization in Montreal, a nonprofit organization that has amazing success and has has been for for quite some time is Chabad Lifeline, an organization that I refer a lot of people to when they are struggling and, like I said, have uh, have proven success. We have with us Rabbi Benjamin Bressinger. He is the director of Chabad Lifeline, and Bill Young there. Uh, youth counselors, because they also do, as you heard earlier, outreach to the, let's call them the forgotten or the silent, I think you call them the silent victims, um, and they're not often easy to uh, to access or to reach. So they do outreach programs in the schools, which is amazing that this is being uh, talked about uh, in the schools. So one of the things I want to talk about is pornography. It's not about being anti-porn and it's not, a, yes, let's not get into an argument about uh, about pornography in general, but let's talk about the, there has been a rise of users. Kids are at home. They're spending a lot of time on their tablets, on their computers, maybe not so supervised because the parents have to work and maybe are working from home. It's like a perfect storm for getting into things you might, you you know, that may not be good for you as a child. I'm not, I'm not putting a judgment on the use of porn by adults who use it occasionally or what have you, not compulsively, let's say, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about the compulsive use and the damage it could potentially cause kids. So I don't know, Bill, if, if this is something that you've seen yourself in youth or have had to address. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do talk about pornography in our uh, sessions, and, and I often ask, like, what is your porn use like? Um, what kind of pornography do you watch? Um, what is your relationship to sex? Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to relationships? Um, and, and more often than not, you know, we, we, we talk about consent. Good. <laughs> uh, and, and, yeah, well, it's, it's hard to talk about sex without talking about consent. 
Um, I'm glad you're saying that and that that's front and center for you because uh, it hasn't hadn't been for years. Right. So we're mm -hmm. finally having better conversations about consent now. Mm -hmm. Well, the word sex is the word sex itself. Like if you just look at the definition of it, if it's not consensual, it's not. No, sex. it's rape. It's abuse. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Rape. Exactly. Um, and so often, you know, the, a lot of sort of youth perceptions about sex is, is what they see on mm -hmm. pornography. Mm -hmm. And and it's not quite accurate. Um, <laughs> to, to say the least, okay. <laughs> yeah. Or especially the things that they probably find on like, even the more sort of mainstream porn mm -hmm. sites. Um, and so often these, these, these videos and this content bypass the consent part of absolutely of, of the whole thing and 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 it it often you know what's interesting is i don't bring up the topic of consent usually mm -hmm. the, the youth bring it up oh good stuff. okay um and and that's that's really fascinating and, and the kinds of questions that are being asked are, are really profound in, in a lot of ways and um so yeah it's and then, and then you start to talk about relationships as well mm -hmm. when, when we talk about sex and, and pornography and um, gender, um, all of this kind of stuff, just, just from asking about pornography. Right. Like, what are uh, you doing with your time? What are you doing online? Do you do this online? And, and then yeah. they open up. And it's so important for kids to have... Uh, somebody and and Bill, you're you know you seem relatively young but super experienced. So <laughs> they <laughs> they yeah, they exactly they probably relate, which is great because they can relate to you and maybe you know they may not maybe not relate to the rabbi with his big beard as uh, <laughs> as easily maybe talking about things like pornography. But so it's good. I mean, it's it's wonderful that there's. The, the, that that's kept uh, front and center in terms of talking about porn literacy and, and things like that, because you want to stop the addiction from ever happening, right? It's a great way to prevent addiction by being able to make people uh, literate about it, understand what they're watching, look at the use, like you said, like what is what does pornography mean to you? What does sex mean to you? What are relationships to you? So you're addressing all of these things that frankly are um are preventative you know you're 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 doing some prevention work here mm -hmm. as well and so that's wonderful often like when i ask what's your relationship with sex what's your relationship to uh, relationships um if someone is addicted and compulsively using pornography mm -hmm. to the point that it's harming them it doesn't match up the values that they have about relationships right. and their behaviors don't necessarily match up and right. so and we say, okay, what what can we do so that we can bring the values and your actions closer together? That's wonderful. It's great to be able to have these discussions with youth. It mm -hmm. really is because most people who talk to me as adults have never had these discussions when they were younger. Never. Like this is, uh, so this is really amazing. Now, Chabad Lifeline does amazing work. But they don't, <laughs> they don't, you know, everybody struggles for money. They're nonprofit. How do you help people? Like, what is the, the, do people pay for the services? Where do you get your money? How does it work? So nobody is turned away because of finances. Okay, that's wonderful. And the way we able, we able to finance that is because we have a fantastic group 
of lay leaders who take responsibility on themselves to fund our programs. And the number one fundraiser is our raffle. That just happens to be Thursday is the draw. Oh, yeah. It's a big draw, too. It is a big draw. $15,000 is the first prize. And it's so easy to buy a ticket, it's unbelievable. You just have to go to lifelineraffle.com. Tickets are $100, and they get a 75% tax receipt from that. And more than ever, this is the time, because what we've been providing is an essential service. Yeah. And, and we, need, we need support of the community to help the community. And it's a no-brainer. I mean, you're getting a tax receipt, so for most of it. So that's, uh, and you get a chance to win fifteen thousand dollars. That's Absolutely. amazing. The odds are way better than the six forty nine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you've been buying a ticket for years. I haven't won yet, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is. Uh, definitely uh, an organization I continue to support. Thank you guys for being on with us. Again, lifelineraffle.com to get information about the raffle. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Good luck with the uh, your continued success and work with youth. Yep. And uh, Rabbi, thank you again for being a guest on the program. Uh, thank you all for listening to Passion. Uh, thank you to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com, where you can find the podcasts of all the past shows if you click on the Passion Radio tab. But you can also find the best of the show on the CJD page on the iHeart Radio app uh, or even our show page at cjd.com. So many places where you can connect up again. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.